Good morning, New Life Church. All right, all right, all right. That, that should not change because if our name changes, talking back to the preacher shouldn't change, all right, as long as you talk back in the right way, okay? <laughs> I know we get told growing up you shouldn't talk back, but in church it's good, you know, we get that, that thing going on between us, so it's awesome. Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, as Lindsay, uh, Pastor Lindsay pointed out last weekend was a huge weekend for our church, a phenomenal uh, weekend. Uh, Sunday morning, we uh, had our dedication service as New Life Church. Uh, I, I, I apologize if some misinterpreted the name dedication uh, in your uh, understanding of what last Sunday was about before you came. I'd gotten word this week that someone thought it meant baby dedication service, and uh, and so I, I apologize if you didn't understand what that was about, but I hope and pray that since you were here, if you were present, then there's no doubt you know what that was about. What a blessing we received by one of our elders, Pastor Rick Bennett, amen? What a blessing, a prayer of blessing, and uh, just a putting a... Uh, just a, a signature, a stamp on, on our church and what God has. You know, as a church, we have a New Life Church. We have three outside elders that help uh, facilitate um, basically accountability and support for our church. And, um, and so uh, two of them you've heard from this year, Pastor Kent Christmas in January was here with a very timely word as well as prophetic voice in our church. And then, of course, last Sunday, Pastor Rick Bennett. And then uh, our third outside elder is Pastor Fred Bennett. He was my longtime senior pastor growing up in Memphis. He'll be with us later in the year uh, at some point. We don't know exactly when, but I'd like to have a time where I can have all three of them here at one time. Uh, talk about a explosion. Uh, the Bible says a threefold cord is not easily broken. Amen. And, and so, uh, but anyway, we appreciate, I appreciate your support of uh, our elders and them speaking life into our church. They believe in us. They have, uh, they pray for us all the time, and they're always a phone call away from me, and, um, and they appreciate your support and care for them and prayers for them as well. And, um, well, church, this morning we're getting ready to start a new series today called We Are the Church. It's called We Are the Church. Let me go ahead and get you to open your Bibles up to the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. But I want to introduce this series to us this morning and uh, get in the vein of what this series is about and how it impacts our life. Before we read anything today or get into anything today, let's pray over this time together. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to preach your word, to open your word and speak on it, and speak about it. I pray, Lord, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring forth revelation into each of us, that you would help each of us know more about you, know more about your word, and to grow closer to you today, where any one of us might feel distant or might feel far that I pray the day that we would leave here with hope in our souls, with a reassurance in our hearts that, God, you are for us and not against us. Holy Spirit, now I ask for wisdom and understanding 
upon this message. Give us ears to hear, I pray. And may our lives be ever so closer to you. In the name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. Amen. Awesome. As I said, starting a new series today called We Are the Church. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look in the Word over the next several weeks, and um, particularly we're going to look at how, um, really, we're going to look at six core values of New Life Church, six core values at New Life Church. Last Sunday night at Heart for the House, I was able to unveil our new mission and vision about New Life Church, and in that included our breakdown of our six core values as a congregation, as a family of believers. And so we're going to begin to look at those today. We're going to take one a week and uh, begin to break those down and look at those and look at them in two ways. One, how they define who we are as a church. And secondly, how these values define who we are as followers of Christ together corporately as a church, but then also individually as followers of Jesus Christ, all right? If you're fairly new here, um, the chirping or just, that's the country. That's the birds talking back at us today. They are getting in on this action, so, um, and so uh, try not to let that distract you too, too much today. But um, values, we're going to talk about values. Values, that's what's important to us. They're ideals. That's, that's what values are. In fact, uh, for example, we, uh, we value cleanliness. At least most of us value cleanliness. We value freedom. Most of us here in our country should uh, and do. We, we, another example would be we value education. We, we value different things. The bottom line is every single one of us have values. We might not really have, list, have listed them out or know them, you know, the top five values of, of my life or our family or what have you, but all in all, every single one of us have values because values actually describe who we are. That's what values do. They describe who we are. And our values are determined by a couple of things. Values are determined by our time, by our talents, and our treasure what we do with our time, how we use our energy, what we do with our, uh, uh, our schedule, what we do with our talent and the, and the giftings that God has blessed us with, where we interject our life in this world in different ways, and, and with our treasure, how we steward our money. If you go and look at your calendar and you go and look at what you, your, your activities and your involvement about different things in life, and you certainly go and look at your checkbook, and you register and you see all the different things where our money goes, that'll tell you exactly what you value. And so values are upon us all. We all have different, different values. And so it's important to understand the question, what is important to you? What do you value? You know, Jesus has a value system. Uh, it's, it's gauged in what is called his kingdom. And today we're going to look at the first core value of New Life Church here in just a minute, and we're going to talk about that. And the first core value is kingdom-minded, being kingdom-minded. Jesus has a value system. It's about his kingdom. And he actually, inside his kingdom, he values something pretty, that's pretty precious to him, pretty, pretty priceless to him, and that is the church. 
Jesus values the church. Um, I want you to look, you can follow me on the screen with this, this first segment of verses. It's found in Matthew 16. I chose the message version for us today because I, I, uh, some of the wording on it um, I thought was, was pretty good for us today. But here in Matthew 16, Jesus, there's basically three questions that are posed. Three questions that are given. Uh, the first question, Jesus asked his disciples, how do the public value me? How does the public people value me? Right there in verse 13 and 14, he says to his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? And, he, and then they replied in verse 14, well, some people think that you are John the baptizer, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. So Jesus is asking an important question, what's the public per- perception and their value about Jesus, about me, about the Son of Man. And they give that answer. And then the second question he asks, he takes it a little closer to home, and he says, hey, I ask about the public, but what about you? How do you personally value me? Look at the next verse in verse 15. 15. There we go. He pressed them and he said, hey, how about you? What do you say? Who do you say I am? How do you value me? And Simon Peter spoke up and he said, well, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then the third question that gets asked, or that's not directly asked, but more so a question the disciples asked and that we should be asking, how does Jesus value us? How does Jesus value us? And he goes on and answered that, verses 17 through 19. Let's look at that. Jesus came back and he said, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. Didn't learn that in any school. He said, my Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you really are who you really are. And he said this, he said, you are Peter, a rock, and this is the rock, the rock of the revelation that Peter had. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, this is the rock on which I will put together my church. And this gets interesting right here. He said, I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Anybody ever feel like hell overcomes you at times? Anybody ever feel like, man, hell is so hard pressing me, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can bear it. But check out the words of Jesus, the the pastor of the church, the chief shepherd of the church. He said, I'm putting together my church, a church so expansive with energy that even the gates of hell will not be able to keep it out. In verse 19, and he said, that's not all. You're not, it's not going to just be about that. But he said, also, you will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth. And between earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. So what is Jesus getting at? What is he trying to make known and understand to the disciples and certainly to us today as people of God, followers of Christ, where he says, look, I will put together my 
church. The word for church here in the New Testament is, is the Greek equivalent word that's ecclesia, which means the gathered assembling of God's people, the coming together of God's people. So Jesus, using the words, I will put together, I will build my people in such a way that they will have such expansive energy, not just hyper-energetic type energy, but the kind of energy that, that when hell comes against them, when difficulties come up on them, when sin seems greater than them, the kind of energy I'm talking about that I will put inside of them and place within them and build them up with is the kind of energy that will cause them to be stout, cause them to be strong, and cause them to be victorious. Anybody want to be a stout, strong, and victorious follower of Christ today? Anybody got any takers on that? Or anybody just want to be weak, passive, and defeated? Anybody want to live your life like that? I know at times it feels that way. At times for some of us, we feel like we are weak. We feel like we are passive. And we feel like we are defeated. But let me tell you, friends, that is not who Jesus intended us to be at all. When Jesus gets involved in the makeup and the DNA and the putting together of people, he puts people together in such a way to make them stout, to make them strong, and to make them victorious. And he said, that's not all, just to, just to be strong and to be victorious. But he said, also, I will give them access and I will give them authority to function in my kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. I will give them access and authority to function in my kingdom. Now, in short, God's kingdom is not necessarily a place that we're going. It includes that. But more importantly, while we're on earth, what, is, what Jesus uh, in the New Testament referred to as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, they're interchangeable. They mean basically this, God's leadership, God's authority, God's power, God's reign in a person's life. Meaning God is over everything. God is above everything, and God should be bigger than anything in our life. Amen? So when Jesus says, I'll give you access and authority to function in my kingdom, meaning he's going to, in fact, that's what he told his disciples in Matthew 28 about the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me from heaven. Now I am charging you to go out into the world. In other words, a transfer of authority has been placed on our lives in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. A transfer of authority. So Jesus gives us access, but he also gives us the authority to function in his kingdom. Meaning this, God will be strong for you. It's perfect what Pastor Lindsay said this morning. God, you don't have to be strong all the time. You don't have to put up the front all the time. Let God be strong for you, but then also God will be strong through you. Amen? That's the greatness of of what Jesus is talking about here in this revelation in Matthew 16 about the church. The church is called to be strong. It's called to be victorious, but it happens when we let Jesus assemble our life. Amen? I could stop there and we could go home because that is really a good point. But I, I've got a little time. i still got a little time. So I'm going to take my time a little bit, and I'm going to take it a little bit further, and I'm going to put some, some rebarb down into this thing, okay? You ready for that? 
put some rebarb down in here, some reinforcements into this from the Word of God. So Jesus, as we later on discover in the New Testament, in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 1, we discover this about the church and about Jesus. He says, hey, I am the head of the church. Anybody ever like being in a circle where there's more chiefs than Indians? Say that tongue-in-cheek, you know what I mean, where there's more bosses than there are employees? When there's more know-it-alls than the people who don't want to do anything at all? Yeah, Jesus doesn't have that problem because he is it. He gets to call the shot. So he says, I am the head of the church. And he doesn't say that in an egotistical way because if we know anything about the Lord, especially Psalm 23 describing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he makes me to sit beside the still quiet waters and he restores my soul. You see, that's the kind of shepherd we have. And then when my life goes through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because my shepherd is there with his staff to keep me and guard me and not let anything get a hold of me. That's the kind of shepherd that Jesus is. He's not an egotistical, proud, arrogant shepherd. No, he's a good, loving sacrificial serving kind of shepherd and when he says he's the head of the church it just simply means he's where he needs to be because he knows where things need to go amen so but he when he says hey I'm the head of the church what he's saying is this you need to be under me you need to be under my authority you need to be under my leadership you need to be under my power you need to be under my reign because I I know what to do. I know what your soul needs. I know where your life needs to go. But then we also learn in 1 Corinthians 12 about the church is that, hey, we are the church. Can you say that with me? Say, we are the church. That's the name of this series. We are the church. We discover we are the church. We are the body of Christ. So what Jesus is saying is this, the revelation that comes from Matthew 16 as he values the church, puts a lot of onus on the church. He's talking about people, not a building. Talking about people, not a building, all right? Talking about people. He says, be under me, but also be a part of me. Be under me as Lord, but be a part of me as my body. So to be a person of Christ is to also be a person of Christ's body. To be a person of Christ is to also be a person of Christ's body. Oftentimes, too many people get things mixed up. I think with good intentions oftentimes, but oftentimes in the wrong way. People sometimes want everything to do with Jesus, but nothing to do with the church, the body. And then oftentimes on the other side, everybody wants to be a part of the body, but they don't want Jesus really being their head. They still want to call the shots. And you see, it just doesn't work that way in God's kingdom. Say kingdom. It doesn't work that way in God's kingdom. He says to be a person of Christ is to also be a person of Christ's body. And to be a part of Christ's body is to be fully engaged in the church. That's what it really is talking about. This is being a kingdom-minded believer. Say kingdom-minded Let's look at our first core value of being a kingdom-minded person. At New Life Church, we value the ways of God's kingdom over the ways of the world in our life. 
His ways and His thoughts are higher and they're better than ours. We aim to be yielded to the leadership of God in our lives through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are submitted to the spiritual authority, our pastors and elders and leaders in our church, and as an individual, as a family, and as a church family, we are determined to express God's ways in our everyday lives to point people to and to show people Jesus being kingdom-minded. Now, there's so much I could talk about this. I could go on, excuse me, I could really labor in this topic for weeks on end about the kingdom of God. I did a message directly on this. It's probably been now six weeks ago at least um, that we did a message on about the kingdom of God, and you will hear me talk more about that because it's a proponent of, of God. It's certainly, and it's a core value of our church to be a kingdom-minded people. Anybody want to be kingdom-minded in here? Amen? want to be kingdom-minded. We're going to look here at 1 Peter 5. Let's get to our main text today. And by the way, the values that I'm, these different, these six values, um, I, I briefly highlighted them last week at Heart for the House. And if you weren't here, what we did last Sunday evening, if you were a member of Family Worship Center, what we did, we corporately transferred all of our memberships over to New Life Church. We uh, stood and, and stated our I am a church member pledge and commitment, and, uh, and then we gave every new member a new membership certificate at New Life Church. Um, and, uh, and so, but I want to tell you, if you were not here and you're like, dang it, how about me? I want to get my, I want to get in on that, then uh, you got to wait for another six years for that to happen. <laughs> just, just kidding. Um, what we're going to do and what we're looking at doing is at the end of this series, okay, is we'll have a Sunday where we will do a membership day for those of you who were not able to be at uh, Heart for the House last Sunday, and we'll do another membership day and issue new membership certificates. And maybe by then you might not want to be a member of our church after going through these core values you might think, man, y'all are too y'all are too hardcore about Christ, man. I don't know if I can handle that. Uh, or maybe it'll challenge you to to change. Maybe it'll challenge you to search your heart. Amen. That's the whole goal of this thing is not to hear me preach, but to be challenged and changed by the power of the gospel under the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's look at our main text, First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five is where we're going to um, hang our hat here today. These next few minutes. This, this particular chapter, it's the first letter of, of, of the second letter that Peter, the Apostle Peter writes. And, um, and, and really, it, it, he does a, obviously he's Peter, he does a great job of outlining what it looks like to be a person of Christ's body in terms of being a kingdom-minded believer in the church. Um, because we can be in the church all day long. We can go to church 52 Sundays out of 52 Sundays a year for 78 years. But if we're not kingdom-minded, it is just a religious act that we do, and it has no bearing on the transforming of our souls. If I wasn't really serious about serving Christ, I wouldn't waste my time about coming to church. Right? I mean, I, if I'm trying to impress people and make myself look good so others will think right about me. I wouldn't waste my time 
with coming to church. But if you want to get close to God, you want to know that there's hope for you. You want to know that there's hope for a broken soul that we all have. You want to know that Jesus is greater. Jesus is stronger. That on the days when we feel like we're overcome with shame and guilt and different things, that Jesus is the one who removes all that stuff, then church is the greatest place to be. At least I believe that about our church. Because I believe that Jesus really is all that. And he has and he is the answer and the remedy for our sin-sick souls and our sin-sick world. And he can heal our bodies. He can heal our souls. He can touch our lives. And he can make our life rich. And he can make our life better. And it, it doesn't mean that all my problems go away. It means that when I have issues and when I go through problems, I know that Jesus will never leave my side. He will never become, I can never gross him out with my ugliness, with my sin, with my secrets. I can never turn him off by my bad days. All he's going to do is keep chasing me, keep pursuing me, and keep coming after me because that's what he did 2,000 years ago when he willingly died on the cross and when he willingly went in the grave. And then when he answered the call of God the Father to raise to rise him, raise him up from the dead and to bring him back to life. And now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, always calling out your name. If you don't ever think God knows your name, God knows your name, and he is familiar with your situation. He is acutely aware of your territory, and he is not distant, but he is near. And if he feels distant, he wants to be close with you because that's who he is. Amen? So, 1 Peter chapter 5, he does a great job of out outlining what it looks like to be a person of Christ's body and uh, in the mindset of being a kingdom-minded believer. We're going to look at these first few verses. Let's look at verse 1. He says, And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. Anytime you see the word elders in the New Testament, it does not necessarily reference older People. That was the way it was done. That they, uh, the, even back from um, all the way back to Moses' time, they picked older people and they were called elders in its generic term. That's what it means. But in the biblical term, it means an overseer in the church, one who has spiritual authority in God's people's lives, okay? So he says, he first off breaks this out and he says, A word to you who were elders, leaders, spiritual authority in the churches. He says, I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, tells him this, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people, assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. So he first breaks this out, and he says, he gives a word to the elders, the spiritual authority. He acknowledges that in the church, there is spiritual authority. In fact, the Apostle Paul does the same in Ephesians 4, where he says Jesus gave gifts to the body of Christ, to the church, gifts to build up and equip people for the work of the ministry, the gifts of apostle, prophet, 
evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Okay, now I know over the course of time, humanity has abused its power and authority in the church. I understand that. And if you've ever been a part of a church where your leadership was abusive and they, they usurped their authority and they just took advantage of their position in people's lives, I'm very sorry for that. I am fortunate enough to come from a church that did not do that, and I, all I know is what a good pastor looks like. And so our, my aim as a pastor now is to put before you what hopefully what a good pastor looks like. Not in my own ability, because God knows I would just tank if it was in my own ability, but by the ability of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, and really by the grace of God can I do what I do. In fact, Paul the Apostle says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And so Peter, the apostle Peter, says, hey, elders, you need to watch how you care and lead your flock. He says, first off, care for the flock. Second off, watch out over the flock. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray over them. And thirdly, he says, you need to lead the flock by an example, by being an example for them, okay? So he first off addresses, hey, there is, God uses, this is his system, this is his procedure, his, the way he functions in the church under the kingdom of God is in with the spiritual authority. Then verse 4, excuse me, verse 5, first part, he says, and in the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders, what he's, what he's getting at here, first he addresses the elders, now he's going to address the flock, the members of the church. And he says here, accept the authority of those who rule in the church, those who are spiritual authority in the church. So what does it mean to accept spiritual leadership, spiritual authority? It means this, it means to submit to their leadership. Remember, Peter first addresses the elders, do do your job right, you lead well, but then also the flock, the members of the church, they accept that authority, they submit to the leadership, it means to follow their leadership, it means to respect them as leaders, and it means to listen to them as leaders. Now, the thing about this part Accepting the authority of elders, the spiritual authority, the thing that makes that easy is when the first four verses are done right. When elders do their job well. When elders lead well. When elders care for the flock. When elders watch over the flock. When elders lead the flock by example. Then it makes it a lot easier for the membership, the flock, to want to accept their spiritual authority. If you're a member here and you, you're coming here, that means you are saying, I'll, I accept the spiritual authority that's upon your life by God. And as just a reminder of our church, because we're structured a little different, we're a non-denominational church, meaning we're not affiliated with any denomination. We are structured to where we have three outside elders, as I mentioned to you earlier in my opening introduction. And if you've had the privilege to meet and listen to, and we'll continue to have that, those men will continue to be coming here on a regular basis. Then we have uh, a board of directors, and then we have a, a leadership staff, myself as the lead pastor and other leaders. And then we have a, have a breakdown of, of an organizational uh, way we do our church here. And um, 
and so uh, and so anyway, when you come here and you are a member here and you want to be a part of a church, and not just this church, but if you happen to go to another church, then when you go there and you put your roots down, then you're saying, hey, I accept the spiritual authority in that church. I submit to it. I will follow their leadership. I will respect them as leaders. I won't talk against them. I won't talk bad about them. I won't call for a gossip prayer circle and eat them for lunch, but I will honestly pray for them. Amen? I will honestly pray for them. I will listen to them. So that's what Peter gets at. First, elder, spiritual authority. Second, he says, here is the acceptance of that spiritual authority. And then here, let's go to the third part of this. Verse 5b, he says, and all of you, can you say all of you? All of you, that's everybody. That's, that is all of us, okay? It says, serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. God opposes the proud, but he favors the the humble. So what he's telling here, the flock, the body of Christ to do is this. Not only do you accept spiritual authority, but then amongst yourselves, you submit yourself to spiritual accountability. You humble yourself as brothers and sisters in Christ in each other's lives, and you welcome spiritual accountability in your life, meaning you allow other people in your church, you build relationship with them, and you give them access into your life for people to say, hey, what's going on? Things aren't looking too good in your eyes, I can tell. I haven't heard from you in a while, haven't seen you in a while. Listen, I noticed, I've noticed you've been kind of distant here lately, or what's really on your mind? What's the struggle that you're facing? You see, that's part of spiritual accountability that God builds in to the DNA of the church. It's part of being kingdom-minded. And if we're not humble with our relationships as brothers in Christ, friends, let me tell you, you'll never get the grace God wants to give you because God, right there in His Word, says He opposes the proud, but He will give grace to the humble. Now, humble doesn't necessarily mean you're, you are shy and you're an introvert and, and, and all of that stuff. Humble is just means being genuine, being sincere, and being transparent. And for the church body, the church family to function in a healthy way, it requires that its membership, that the flock, be humble to one another and submit ourselves to spiritual accountability. I'll, I'll level with you, friends. I would never be where I'm at preaching and ministering and pastoring if, if, I, if this didn't start in my life a long time ago, and, does, and, it, and obviously it continues on today, that I would, be, I would have taken the uh, wrong turn at Albuquerque. Okay? I would have went the wrong way in my life. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, this is what I want to do. This is what makes me happy. But because of true spiritual accountability, brothers in Christ speaking into my life stopped me in my tracks and said, what are you thinking? And because of that kind of accountability, stopped my life from being a train wreck and, put, and made sure I stayed on the right path that God has for my life. See, that's part of spiritual accountability. See, you can't be a person of Christ and not be a person of Christ's body. 
the church. It's okay to speak and confess all the stuff that to a person we can't see, God, but it's another to be real with a person we can see, his body, because of whatever fears and phobias and thoughts we might have. But Peter says, listen, you got to do this. And we're going to get to the why here in just a second. I'm going to bring it home. Verse 6. So you got spiritual authority. He says, accept that as spiritual authority. Then you got humble yourself as brothers and sisters in Christ, spiritual accountability. Then number, the, the fourth thing he says, verse 6. He says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, or other translations might say the mighty hand of God, And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and your cares to God, for he cares about you. So then the last part here, he says, you need to surrender yourself to the mighty hand of God. Because when you do that, God will lift you up and God will care for you. Right? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. So as elders and as members of our church, we are called to certainly humble ourselves and surrender ourselves to the mighty hand of God in our life because he's the one who can only really lift us up and he's the one that will really care for us and take care of us and help us. So this first part of 1 Peter 5 it, it, it outlines, it, it, it describes a covering in the kingdom. There are layers of covering. Does anybody just love being ice cold? Like anybody just love like it snows and all you want to do is go out and hardly anything and lay in the snow? No, I hate being ice cold. When I go to bed, I don't mind if it, be, it starts out cold, but man, I want to know that I got some layers that I can put on me and get warm, Right? Yeah. You see, God does that too in his kingdom in the church called the church. He builds in layers of covering. And we Peter just described those, the layer of covering called spiritual authority, the layer of covering called spiritual accountability, and the layer of covering that seals it all and caps it all is the covering of the mighty hand of God over our life. And here's the thing about that. It's not just one or two or another one of those. It's all three of those. We learned last night at Schoolhouse Rock, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and phrases. and It's not one or. Where's Sydney? There you are, my girl. You were, you were doing it live last night. That's a superstar right there. It's not one or, it's one and, two and, three, one and two and three. It's spiritual authority, spiritual accountability, and God's mighty hand over our life. Because here's the deal. Here is why this is so important. Let's look at verse 8 and verse 9. This is why Peter says you need all three layers active in your life. Not one or two or three, but one and two and three. Why? Because, he says, verse 8, stay alert. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. First off, our enemy is not each other. Never has been 
and should never be. Our enemy is the devil. Okay? Our enemy is the devil. And he says this, he, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith and remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. So the devil is our enemy and he's looking for someone to devour. He is always doing that. He's like a lion roaming around looking for someone to devour. How does he get access to the person or the people's lives to devour? Here's how. He does not come into the flock that is together. He waits for the one or the ones who begin to disengage, pull away, isolate, and separate themselves from the flock. And when he sees that happening in people's lives, he licks his chops as he is roaming around. See, he won't come into the flock. If he tries to come into the flock, it's the shepherd's job to point them out and drive them out. But he waits for those on the outskirts who begin to sort of step back and work them way work their way to the outside fringe and begin to be all alone and he pounces on and pulverizes those who remove themselves from the three-layer covering see this word right here in 1 Peter 5 disproves the belief that you can do God all by yourself. Unfortunately, that is a lie in, this, in these latter days that I don't need to go to church. I don't need the church to do God. I can talk to God anywhere. I'll give you that. So true. Absolutely right. But the Apostle Peter breaks it down, and he says, if you do not have the layers of covering in my kingdom in your life, you will be greatly subjected to the pouncing of the enemy, the devil, in your life. And that's what he does. That is how the enemy, who roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, that's how he gets his teeth into souls, into people who are saints. Isolation, separation, getting alone, pulling back, stepping out from, removing themselves from the three-layer covering. Well, I don't really like what that pastor's preaching. I don't really, I'm not getting that much spiritual food and nourishment. You know, I, I, think, I think it's going to do my own Bible studies at home. You start taking that on on your own accord, and pretty soon you're going to find out hell will beat your door down, and hell will come against you, and hell will take you out. Because you were never meant to do this thing alone. You were meant to be a part of a flock. Any lamb or sheep or other animal that roams together in a flock, when it gets isolated and pulled aside... 
You watch the National Geographic videos, and it is gruesome. That lion takes it out. And friend, Peter says, hey, the devil is that lion. And he longs to take people out. In fact, one of the greatest things in the book of Revelation about the last days is this, is that we need to pray that we don't lose heart and we don't lose commitment. But those who endure to the end will be saved. More and more people fall out of church. More and more churches close every day. Thousands upon thousands close every day. It's not easy being a congregation. Some people think, man, it's easy doing this thing. It is not easy doing this thing. Because you and I know we all have real problems and we all have real struggles and we all have real issues. And not all of us really want to deal with them the right way. But God has given us the safety net called covering that enables us to bring our issue, our problem, our sin into the protection the protection of a kingdom-minded church and not be overtaken by the cares and the worries and the problems of this world or the temptations of our flesh and not be subject to the devouring of the devil in our life. He's given us this, these layers of protection. We don't have what it takes all by ourselves to be firm. He says be firm and be strong in your faith. Verse 9, he says, Stand firm against the devil. Be strong in your faith. And remember, all other churches around the world deal with the same thing. There's people in all kinds of churches fighting against being isolated, being separated, stepping out from the covering of their leadership, doing things on their own accord, not soliciting advice or godly counsel, not even asking for other brothers and sisters to pray for them. They just go and do their own thing. And friends, you don't have to go about life all by yourself. you got the family of God. You've got the layers of spiritual authority, spiritual accountability, and then God will put his mighty hand on top of that and seal your life off so that you will be victorious. Let's close this out. Verse 10. Jake, help me close this out. Verse 10 and 11, Peter says, In his kindness... God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. You catch that? In God's kindness, He called us to share in the eternal glory by Christ Jesus. See, God is not stingy. God is not greedy. God calls us to share in that eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, He will restore you, support you, strengthen you, and He will place you on a firm foundation. In other words, He will put your life together. He will build you up in all power to Him forever. Amen. What is Peter getting at at the conclusion of this letter here? That Jesus is the head of the church and that we are His body and that we are to be under Him but we are also called to be a part of Him. 
and when we are under Jesus and we, we, when, when we are a part of his body, then we have access to what Jesus can do in our life. He builds us up. He puts us together. He makes us stronger. He causes us to do what, the, what, what, Math, what, the, what Matthew's gospel records that we just read in the beginning of Matthew 16, that I, Jesus said, I will put together my church so expansive with energy, so strong, so stout, and so victorious that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. And I will give them access and authority to function in my kingdom. They will be built up. They will be strong. I will put them together. You see, when you're under spiritual authority, spiritual accountability, and God's mighty hand, then it enables you to be victorious and strong in this world for the kingdom. You see, part of being kingdom-minded is to understand kingdom covering. It's not just about being a part of a church or going to a church. There's hundreds of them in this area. But it's about being a committed, kingdom-minded believer in the local church. You see, it's an advantage to every one of us to welcome spiritual authority in our life. It's an advantage to every one of us to welcome spiritual accountability in our life. You see, the way God views it, the way God notes whether or not we're real and sincere about our commitment to Him is where we are in our commitment to spiritual leadership and spiritual accountability. Because really, face it, any one of us can say, yeah, I'm, I'm surrendered to God. I'm yielded to God. God's got my life. He's got my heart. He knows what's right and wrong for me, and I'm just listening to Him. Great, you should do that. But the proof in the pudding is whether or not you can yield your life to spiritual leadership, and you can open your life up to spiritual accountability. You see, as humans, we have trouble with that sometimes because all the way back to the beginning, we like to buck the system right? We don't always like somebody giving us direction. We don't always like having somebody to tell us we're wrong. But thank God that somebody can tell us we're wrong. How else will we know what is right? You see, this is how Jesus envisioned his church when he told Peter. It was Peter who had the revelation. And, and who was the letter we just read? Peter. Peter gets the right about that because it was Peter who got the revelation in Matthew 16 about the church that Jesus wants to build. And friend, our world, our society, our city longs to see kingdom-minded people yielded to spiritual leadership, given to spiritual accountability, and operating with the mighty hand of God on their life because that, my friends, has the right ingredients for God's people to be strong, to be stout, and to be victorious. For God to be strong for us, and for God to be strong through us, and for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill our life in a way to where we can overcome. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Can you do, God, I look to you?